My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Hey, welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Uh, So glad to have you here with us. Our guest today on the show, another repeat transmissions guest. I'm joined by guitarist and band leader Chris Forsyth. His new record is out now on No Quarter Records. It's called Evolution, Here We Come, and it rules. On it, he's backed up by uh, some familiar names, folks like Tom from Garcia Peoples. You got Douglas McCombs from Tortoise on bass, and of course, drummer extraordinaire Ryan Jewell, but also it's a record that really uh, kind of blends that live band feel with an electronic framework, uh, courtesy of producer Dave Harrington uh, of Darkside and the Dave Harrington Group. We get into all of that as well as discussing how Chris got Marshall Allen of Sun Ra, the Sun Ra Orchestra to show up on the album and, uh, and just dig in in general to the sort of cosmic german rock meets new wave sheen of the record uh i had so much fun talking with chris chris is such a great dude and he's a smart thoughtful guy and as always it was great to have him uh stop by and and dig dig in and chop it up with me so without much more delay uh we'll get into that conversation but before we do that i want to thank you again for tuning into transmissions and encourage you, if you dig the show enough to uh, to to want to support it, you can, of course, check Aquarium Drunkard out on Patreon. That's the best thing you can do. You can go over there and pledge a few uh, uh, coins a month and get access to cool bonus audio and all sorts of other cool stuff. Uh, our Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard shows as aired on DubLab, they're over there a la carte, so you can just pop in and listen to an episode of, say, Tyler Wilcox's Doom and Gloom from the Tomb, one of my favorite monthly radio shows, or Chad DePasquale's New Happy Gathering, and of course, all of the shows by our great guests. Um, anyway, uh, Patreon is, is, is the place to do that, and uh, and of course, if you, if you want to do something don't necessarily have the funds uh, to contribute you can always just head over to uh, say apple podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and write out a review you can jot out a few thoughts about what you like about the show or what you'd like to hear on the show or uh you know you can you can drop some uh constructive criticisms of the program if that sounds like something you'd want to do uh we really do appreciate that sort of inter- interaction and engagement and uh and last but not least you can just hit share you can post this on twitter you can post it on uh instagram or whatever just tell people that you're listening to transmissions that you dig these conversations about creativity and uh and uh, transcendence and uh, musical freedom and all of the other ideals that we celebrate here on transmissions so that's a that spiel out of the way we will uh we'll get right into it here i am with chris Forsyth. thanks so much for tuning in to aquarium drunkard transmissions i'll speak to you a little bit more on the other side 
It's funny, dude, because I went back and listened to our previous conversation, and uh, I think you said strangest year on record, 2020, and now here we are. It's we might have had two years that managed to at times be even stranger than that year, which is pretty wild to consider. Yes. <clears throat> still nuts, still nuts out there. But man, the the new this new record is absolutely killer. Oh, I thank really, you. I really dug it. It's it you know it's funny because I don't know if the word that uh, is most applicable is like hopeful or optimistic, but there's like a real unrestrained quality to the record. It's pretty joyful and and celebratory. It sounds like. Yeah, I that's good to hear. I'm not sure that it necessarily comes from optimism, uh, but maybe some sort of uh, you know reaching for the moment kind of thing. You know, now or never. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, the 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 title, uh, I think, kind of addresses that in a way, because, you know, like everybody, I'm sitting around looking at the world, uh, both on the screen and in front of me when I'm walking down the street and, um, you know, wondering what the hell is going on yeah. and where is it going and what does it mean? And, um, you know, the, the thing that 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 I... I'm sort of I'm sort of wary of uh, too many shiny objects that are saying this is happening or that's happening or this is happening or that's happening, and yeah. getting distracted by that and remembering that you know uh, the you know the Earth is spinning around the sun and uh, evolution is a term that you know could go either way really you know like the dinosaurs <laughs> probably. Maybe I don't know how sentient they were, but in, in in terms of these things, but they probably wouldn't look so kindly on evolution. But um, I know what you mean. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, "When will we save the Earth?" And I was thinking, I was just reflecting on it because obviously, of course, you empathize with the the spirit behind it. But I I found myself thinking, I don't. The Earth's probably going to be fine, actually. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not the the Earth itself is not the problem. It's 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 us on it. Maybe we're we're not. We might not be fine, but <laughs> right. the Earth might not need saving. It might need save our spot on Earth or our conditions for yeah. But I mean, obviously, that's not to yeah. Yeah, I mean, who, who the I know hell what knows? you mean. Yeah, yeah. The evolution is like a it's a, it's a double edged sword. Yeah, it's out of our control, uh, like most things, and um, uh, you know, but also uh, on a personal level too. I mean, uh, like you know, looking back on one's life and, and trying to be present in their, their, the current state of it. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I personally have tried to evolve, uh, just in that little section of the little part of the world that we, or your life that you can control, you know, which is, you know, yourself, your family, the people around you, your friends, uh, colleagues, whatever. Um, and so, Um, I don't know, I like that could be interpreted as, uh, optimism or whatever, but I'm, I'm just wary of the sort of like, uh, of like sort of pseudo feel good optimism (laughs) that I feel like a lot or, or, and also like, uh, you know, the sky is falling catastrophism or I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a word, but you know, I I, know what I I mean? uh, Yeah. I mean, if it's not a word, it should be, you know. (laughs) based on the the conditions because yeah absolutely yeah. i know what you mean like the the kind of like uh the impulse 
to uh, to be utterly dismayed by everything is understandable because because we're sentient and like you said we can we can see it, but there's a kind of uh, kind of useless attraction to that as well that can become addictive, and then on the other side of it, the sort of like purely sunshiny optimism thing can often uh, demand that you don't acknowledge any of the horrible conditions. Yeah, and I think you run into a lot of people also. Uh, on any either side of the you know political divide, who right. are so confident in their own, they've got they've figured it all out. You know, they know the answers and they know what the problems are and they know what the solutions are. Yeah, and that kind of arrogance also, uh, I feel like, is not something that's very attractive to me. And that sort of arrogance is something that also is potentially going to get you know is open to being kind of crushed by evolution as well. You know, well, like yeah. Yeah, sure, sure, totally. You know, what's funny though is obviously the uh, the 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 phrase can be applied just sonically to what's happening on the record because, you know, talking about what you can control, you know, and I don't know that art or your artistic creations are things that you necessarily think of in terms of control or not, you know, because I know that as we discussed a lot on that last one, spontaneity improvisation is a real driver in your work so it might not always feel like something to be controlled but it's certainly something you have a hand in shaping and this record doesn't sound i mean i can tell it's you the entire time and yet i'm hearing stuff that of course is like really interesting and new on 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 this one i know you worked with dave harrington with on first first flight which was what we were discussing a lot the last time you were here Mm -hmm. um but it sounds like the collaboration you know, deepened on this one in a, in a lot of ways. What does that look like in terms of this record? Well, yeah, I think that's the third level of evolution that I was thinking about in, in terms of that title, which is, you know, there's sort of the external thing in the world, there's the internal thing in my own life. And then, of course, the thing that I kind of do to, um, you know, manage all that is make music. And, um, and that's something that's got to evolve too. <clears throat> and, and yeah, so Dave is a huge part of that. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say that like the, the record sounds different because I wanted it to. And, uh, and it was, a, it was about giving up a certain amount of control for sure. Um, you know, like uh, in the past, and also just sort of like letting other, like opening the door to letting other ideas in in a in a in a more unrestrained way i mean i always try to do that with the people that uh that i play with and um and and usually uh, i mean almost always they're so good that i don't even have to really worry about it too much you know <laughs> like they, they just show up and like and and crush it but um but you know just in, just in terms of the sonic language of of how it comes across on a recording uh as well as it was part of the, the 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 thought process that went through um even starting before the pandemic and then through it um you know there was there were shifts in what i was interested in or what i wanted to try to like get out of it i mean my i feel like any musician or artist I, uh I, uh or anyone that's involved in any kind of you know um regular ritual i mean I, i'm sure that there are uh, craftspeople or um you know chefs or whoever uh 
you know, that construction workers that also think about like what their, um, what, how they would like to see their process, you know, change in one way or the other. And, um, and so, you know, before the going into the pandemic, I think I, I was thinking like leaving the last record, I was like, Oh, I really want things to be way more open and super improvisatory. And then funnily, you know, whatever the, the pandemic happened and you couldn't do that. But I, that sort of worked its way out in those live records that I ended up putting out. Yeah. And including first flight, the one with Dave, uh, and Spencer Zahn and Ryan Jewell, which was hundred percent improvised. And then, um, you know, we kind of mixed down in the studio, but then after all that, I was like, I kind of want to tighten it up again. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the, one of the thoughts going into this record was like, you know, like skinny tie popel the like what if you know like oh. like like power pop kraut rock with a, like a touch of ZZ Top or something, that was just sort of like one of the ideas that was sort of like uh, percolating, and um, and I I'd never worked with an outside producer before, and over the course of making the first flight record, and then Dave also did a remix of it called First Flight Redux. And and that one is the one that really like when I heard what he did on that, I was like, whoa, this is this is the direction like this is uh, like, you know, my relationship with him was deepening long distance over the pandemic and just talking a lot about the, uh, you know, the stuff we were working on. And uh, but when I heard that, I was like, oh, this this is like really what he can do with with things. And he definitely did that on on the record. There's there's parts that, you know, he just sort of like. I wasn't there for any of the mixing. It was all done like long distance. I did like, you know, I, we recorded it out here or actually in Richmond, but on the East coast. And then I did overdubs in Philly and New York. And then I sent it all out to him. So there's a bunch of stuff that I kind of, I had ideas, but then I was like, okay, like, here's all the stuff, like go nuts. Um, yeah. and yeah. we talked about it, of course, but like, um, I, yeah, I love the, I love the textures and just, somebody else making that he brought to it and also just having somebody else's you know stamp on it a little bit is nice like i, I want to be surprised when i hear this stuff too and if you're always well anyway for me if you're always the one leaning over the mixing desk uh you know you, you got to mix it up now and then yeah absolutely absolutely it's so funny that you mentioned skinny tie purple vu i wrote purple vu i wrote down uh how much first off heaven for you man that's like that's like one of my favorite songs of the year. I just listened to that one over and over. Oh, sorry, Heaven for a Few. Right. Uh, I listened to that one over and over again, and I wrote down, it's like finally a Cars song produced by Robert Fripp. So, I mean... <laughs> Great. Yeah, that's... So, I that's... mean, I think it's it, 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 the vision is coming through very clearly. And what I like is, um, you know, we've talked about ZZ Top before as well, and... I hear on experimental and professional, obviously there are some sort of topisms or whatever. Um, is the title a reference to what's the title of reference to if it's not of that of that song, experimental and professional? Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a line from Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers. Okay, and like okay. I've I've I, I've I'm not somebody who has pondered the lyrics of uh, ZZ Top and a, to a, a deep degree. I'm not sure yeah, that probably a, I'm not probably sure that. A, yeah, probably a wise and you, yeah. know, you know organic approach yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when um but you know doug doug mccombs who played bass on this record is a is a big zz top fan and uh actually has played in a zz top cover band i believe 
That's and he cool. he knows all the lyrics. And so I, we were listening to that song in the car or in the van or something, maybe when we were playing a gig. Um, we did a couple, we did a few gigs kind of during the pandemic and maybe it was before that. I can't remember precisely, but we were listening to it in the car and uh, he was like kind of singing along and I was like, that's what he says there? Yeah. Because <laughs> we're experimental and professional. And we laughed and I was like, oh yeah, that's a good, that's a good quote. And it, whatever, it just seemed fitting for that song. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because it's it's like kind of a dead on encapsulation of ZZ Top as a as a band in a lot of ways, because they're something that really I thought about a lot listening to this record. And it, it happens too with sort of like a lot of classic German stuff, like we alluded, you know, Krautrock stuff or certain synthesizer uh bolstered jazz records or whatever this sort of interplay between a, a real human organic kind of rougher element aka the sort of rock and roll band that's playing the tunes yeah and then these sort of layers and and sort of a, a sort of electronic sheen because i know you you sort of referred to this as like kind of an electronic record but obviously it's it's not that in the strict sense but that thing that sort of man uh in the machine trans neil young kind of thing like there's something very i mean i don't think it feels entirely entirely coincidental that that kind of sound is interesting right now because i mean obviously there we're me we're living in that to some degree right the sort of like weird cybernetic I don't know, just the, 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 the systemization of everything, of people, sure. the way people think, you know? So uh -huh. there's something really interesting and evocative about playing with those tones right now. And it comes through. It's such a cool, it's such a cool combination. Yeah. When I played that song for my friend, uh, Richie, Richie Charles, who has a label in Philly here called, uh, Petty Bunko. Um, he was, he said that sound that, yeah, the, speaking of that song, experimental and professional, he said that he said, Ryan Jewell on that song sounds both more human and more machine than Frank Beard does on, uh, yeah. Eliminator, <laughs> yeah. which I, which I was like, great. That's perfect. The, the band is just absolutely incredible on this record and, and we can touch on some of their, their, their individual, uh, what they brought to it. Cause it's just, it's a really it's a really good band record. Um, but before we do that, I want to note that in, it, it feels fitting to me. It feels like very Forsyth-esque that your song that sort of sounds like ZZ Top also features Marshall Allen from the Sun Ra <laughs> Orchestra. You know, like that's like one of those perfect sort of uh, talk about encapsulatory ideas. I mean, but what... Had you so I, I'm sure you had encountered Marshall and had maybe run-ins. Was this the first time that you recorded together or performed together, or how did? What was that like? Yeah, um, I, I mean, being in Philly, you know, you you see those guys. One of the it's one of the blessings, maybe maybe the the highest blessing of living in Philadelphia, is that those guys play. You know, the orchestra plays. Um, you know, a couple of free shows a year, usually in, in, in Philly, in a park or in an arboretum or wherever. And, um, but I've encountered them over the years. I mean, I've, pl I've shared bills with them, um, at the, actually the rarity of experience record release show, like, uh, we had a Marshall, uh, do like a small a trio set as an opening act for that. And I've opened for the orchestra around here too. 
And when I, I was teaching for a minute at University of the Arts here, and I had him come in and speak to the class, which was utterly incredible because, um, you know, it was a bunch of first year students in an art school who, I mean, who are literally children. I mean, they're like, I mean, legally not, I guess, but like, you know, very ill, like their minds are still very much forming. <laughs> and I think they saw Marshall come in and were like, okay. And at one point in the, in the course of him talking to them about all this stuff, he he stopped and he was like, I, I just, wait a second. I just want to make sure that everybody is on the same page here. Like, uh, you all know that all creativity is a combination of chaos and the spirit, right? And everybody kind of stared at him. And I was like, wow, oh, you know, I'm really glad that these these kids are hearing this. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so anyway, was he, yes. Was, was he in his full regalia? I mean, you know, he, I, he wasn't like in a costume, but, you know, Marshall. Yeah. There's only one way Marshall kind of gets gets around, I think, you know, he's. He's got some sun raw gear on and stuff, and okay, you know. just just making yeah, I I figure as much yeah, cool cool, um, but you know that and that was I mean that was close to ten years ago probably, um, but no, it's one of those things where after we did the the track, which the basic track was the last thing it was the last thing we recorded when we did the sessions with the band, uh, so it was one of those things where it's like okay shit we've got an hour left like we got to be out of here in an hour and we. You know, of course, we saved this last song, which was kind of a jammer. We knew it was not going to be a short uh, take or whatever. But yeah. we also knew that it was going to just depend on, like, you know, ripping it. So we just did. We did it in one take. And then <clears throat> afterwards, you know, I'm going back over the stuff and considering what could go, go, you know, what could, you know, augment it or bring out some cool things in it. And uh, it was actually uh, my wife, Maria's... I we were i was listening to it and she's like oh you should get marshall to play on this and i was like that is a great idea yeah. um but then getting marshall into a room can be kind of a challenge because uh um yeah the communication and like i mean sure. the, the students are like on their own kind of time clock and wavelength but so it took a, it took a while um took yeah it took a while to get them and and, and eventually i actually i I, I found I, I went up to them when they were I went up to Marshall and talked to him after after he played a show last fall mm. in, at at Morris Arboretum in in Philly and uh, and talked to Elson uh, Nascimento who is like the player manager of the orchestra and he was just like let's do it tomorrow <laughs> this was after like you know six weeks of like kind of sending an email and waiting and then maybe sending another one and I was like well yeah. I can't I can't do tomorrow but you know let's figure out some dates and then I found a couple dates that a you know Jeff Ziegler's studio was available and I I called him and I told him that and he said well that's that's the end of the month and I was like well yeah I mean it is it's like 2 weeks from now but it is the end of the month and he he was just like can we do it tomorrow <laughs> and I was like okay I think we have to do it tomorrow so I found a different studio and you know I went and picked Marshall up at the house he was, they were sitting on the porch ready to roll with his EVI that's the other thing yeah. I wanted. I wanted to hear the the EVI, the which you know the electronic valve instrument, which is kind of like a s trumpet that's voiced like a synthesizer or a synthesizer that's voiced like a trumpet rather. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to like him, you know, I mean, his obviously his saxophone playing is amazing too. But I've always loved the EVI stuff, and um, so yeah, he just came down and just like did, you know, five takes over it or whatever. Uh, it all it all worked. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't like 
oh, that was that was a bad take. Uh, we didn't, maybe we could do that one again. It was just like, okay, we've got a bounty here to deal with, yeah. uh, which which Dave unpacked out in LA. I just you know sent it all out to him. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really cool. It's a really cool, really cool situation. You know, talking about um, some of the when I was. I, it's an interesting thing that you're doing sequencing wise the way you, the 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 vocal tracks come after you've had a nice immersion in the jams you know but the vocals sound great on this record were you doing was were those uh was that live with the band i mean what's the what's the sort of percent or or was it overdubbed later and stuff like the that vocal, the vocals i mean the the in the studio the vocals are overdubbed um but yeah but yeah i mean i you know i've been we we were doing those songs. We did we we did a few gigs leading up to um, the recording sessions. Uh, as as like we got together to rehearse so and do some gigs, and then got together and rehearsed again, leading into the studio. So we had a little bit of like you know flow going, and yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean I you know I've been I've been working on the singing. It's not something that I, uh, you know, I started that pretty late in life. But then again, I kind of started playing the kind of music that I play now relatively late in life too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been been working on the on the vocals, and the thing is with like with the you're gonna need somebody. I just felt like that was a song that I could really sing with conviction. You know, that's why I wanted yeah. to do it. Like it just yeah. felt uh, like the lyric. I think the lyrics are great. The song and the melody and everything are wonderful, but like the the lyrics are kind of where it's at for me on that song. And, and they also, that also felt relevant to the, you know, concept, so to speak, uh, you know, the evolution here we come idea. Um, yeah. because, you know, I think that that song is, uh, on the surface, it could be read to be about like, you know, um, love or an individual, uh, whose love carries you through. But I, I've, I've always interpreted it as being more about faith and um, because, you know, he says you're going to need the one who's standing and waiting for you. He doesn't, it's sort of like, I mean, it can go either way, obviously Uh, it's open to interpretation, but I, but I, I, as with many of, you know, Richard Thompson's lyrics, I think there are, um, you know, layers of meaning and, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, but, I think also my my skepticism of you know just human arrogance uh it, it allows me to think that we're not the top of the pyramid here you know <laughs> so I, yeah so uh so that song I think is a is a great uh kind of statement of that yeah I love I love the way you put that you know cuz that's something that I definitely it's funny that the 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 pandemic, obviously, I, I think about how that kind of arrogance that you're talking about. I mean, I think it's just, it's it's really entrenched, you know? And I love that, like, we could very easily and rightly point out sort of like the failings of religious, you know, belief systems or, or, or the failings of specific religious believers, you know, and the sort of flaws because they're because they're absolutely real but i do think that there's something that is at least potentially very helpful in that notion of of just like remembering that there are things bigger than you whether that is whether it's a supreme being you know or whether 
you're able to personify the concept of the universe, whatever you got to do, you know? And I feel like, I yeah, don't know. I mean, you, can, you, can take, you can take the Bible or any other religious text as like a literal face value thing, but I think that would maybe not be the best way to take it. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, I, <laughs> like, I, I agree. Just, just, like, just like you could take, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a work of, it's a work of art, ultimately. And um, that's what people look to, I think, for uh, uh, understanding, you know, be it songs or, uh, you know, images or films or yeah, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, all that, you know, what you said about, sure, obviously religion has done a lot of, uh, has been responsible for a lot of bad shit in the world, but, um, you know, I like, uh, who, who am I to judge? Most, most things are responsible for a lot of bad <laughs> shit in the world. You know, wh yeah. insert, insert whatever you got to there. Yeah. People. 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 <laughs> complicated. Yeah. People are complicated. Yeah. Hey Transmissions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun, and uh, here's the important part, it makes it easy. With unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard to get started now, Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. You know, when I was re-listening to our interview, I was really, um, I was interested in hearing you you were talking really about the sort of emotion, the emotionality or the emotional character of the music that you make and how your root in any of it. We were talking about like classifications and musical taxonomy and all that, that stuff. And you're kind of like, yeah, that's, that's, you were talking about how your, your, your root for all of this is a lot more personal and more, um, kind of like emotional in its, at its root. And, Listening to this record, I feel like um, there's a side of your personality that comes out on this record that's really it's really interesting. There's a there's a sweetness to a lot of this record. You know, you 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 already alluded to those power pop melodies or whatever, but there's like a real bittersweet kind of a beautiful, you know, melancholy on this record, some chiming stuff that's really interesting. I, I noted that in addition to my cars, my cars, you know, Fripp thing, 
maybe I'm completely nuts, but I kind of hear some like Boston in that song as well. Um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about those sort of like the way the the guitars are compressed a little, and it's almost I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm completely nuts. I don't know where Boston falls on your 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 family tree musically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that Boston was a conscious uh, influence on that, but I mean, you know, the cars were from Boston too, so that's uh, maybe that's it true. was, <laughs> maybe is there some connection? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've always liked, and 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 I've I've always striven to have even kind of longer form things feel like they were, uh, you know, tight, and and yeah. I've always been like. Uh, um, I've always been interested in, you know, melody and lyricism and rhythm as well as sort of sprawl and, yeah. uh, and you know, like that's one of the things about like, I've, I, I mean, when I'm, when I'm like going about my daily, whatever I'm doing, um, I, I'm, I'm just as likely listening to, you know, uh, I don't know the shoes or, you know, some other kind of like, yeah, like I love, I love that shit. And, um, and and I think that that's also that stuff is also very present in uh, in television, for example. You know, there's also this kind of sprawl, but there's no waste. Um, right. Right. And so, um, you know, like like, but also in 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 whatever I'm trying to put together, I'm always interested in having like sort of contradictory elements. So like a super, you know something that's super catchy and then also something that could like go on for a long time. And that song, in fact, uh, heaven for a few, like on the record, I think it's maybe like five and a half minutes long, which, uh, is, you know, relatively restrained by my recorded output, uh, sure. standards. But, um, but, but when we play it live, like the middle section could go on for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's got this sort of it's the potential for like a trap door to open and anything can happen but also on the recording I, w I wanted it to be like i was like i don't i don't i don't need to document another like you know big jammy jam like we i just put out a few live records and like that stuff is all you know available yeah and it seemed happen. like it would it seemed like it would be more interesting to me to try to like uh compress the stuff down and like you know uh have it have it be a little bit more digestible in a recorded because rec listening to something on a recording is very different than experiencing it live and yeah very you know, much so um so it can it can have two lives you know like the sort of perfect little thing that is the recording that you could listen to and over and over again and then also when you perform it live it could be something totally different yeah totally totally and yeah i mean you're right most of the songs on this are very compact aside from robot energy machine the closer which right. which also whatever i mean it's uh, your best stuff always feels this way to me i don't think of it as a 14 minute song or whatever i just hear it and it sounds cool the whole time and then i'm you know i don't necessarily think well, that's of how long it is that song is all harrington because my my plan for that song was that it was going to be like you know three and a half minutes long and fade yeah. out <laughs> he was like no nah, we're gonna go we're going yeah, long on so, this one so when so when we play again when we play it live we kind of do a jam at the end of it and so in yeah. the studio we were just you know we were we were we were jamming and and uh but it wasn't it wasn't even that like i think the basic track wasn't even that compelling of a you know it wasn't that interesting necessarily other than ryan being mm. just fucking super 
uh, laying it down. Um, so rhythmically, which is the most important thing, it was it was there. But I, you know, I just sent that out, and Dave, without you know, there was no discussion. He just was like, I think he saw saw some space to work with, yeah. and he went to town and overdubbed a lot of, you know, he overdubbed some guitar on that and some like lapsed or pedal steel rather, and uh, a, you know, a bunch of other stuff, some keyboards. And so he, when he sent it to me, I was like, "Damn you!" Like, I, like now, like this record, this this album won't fit on a single record now. <laughs> yeah, because when he the outro that he that he did for that was too good to cut. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, yeah. So now it's, it's basically good. it's basically like an album and a half, like on vinyl. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's funny. Wait, so what did you? Is it is it a is it a blank? side or is it an there's, etching there's a no there's a vinyl only bonus track okay, on the cool, cool, on, cool. on the on the last side which um which which dave and i kind of put together super quickly out in la i went out uh i went out with ryan and, and doug to play a few gigs in california in october and so i went out a few days earlier and dave is in la now and um you know, spend a day with him just like kind of going over the stuff, just not like deep mixing, but just like listening and talking and, you know, right. shooting around ideas. And, and we also uh, decided to kind of like spontaneously just kind of do some other kind of experimental stuff in the studio. And um, anyway, some of that is what produced the, the, the fourth side, um, which is not like, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a title. It's not listed as being part of the album. It's not, on streaming it's not on the cd but you know it seemed like if we're gonna have two pieces of vinyl in the package might as well put something as long as it's good and i think it's an interesting yeah. thing uh, that we put on the on the end of there um that's that's so cool i i want to go on record i think i've said so on twitter i'm not a fan of etchings and i hate nothing more than like just nothing on the other side which i've received a f i've seen a few people pull that move which is just yeah. like uh neil young has done that a, more than a more than once i think in the neil, last few neil, years neil young is i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna <laughs> i wasn't gonna young we shame, name names. but yeah shaky come on man just you know you've got like some other thing you could put on there yeah I mean, don't don't be stingy on the i mean on the archival neil, stuff. neil young neil young refusing to yeah use up a, a side of vinyl is like the funniest thing because there's yeah. nobody who's been less discriminate about a lot of what they put out. it's true and it's also neil i've got four amazing albums in my back pocket from the 70s that i just yeah. decided to sit on <laughs> and now put them out young yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. On the on the topic before we get into the band a little bit, but, but on the topic of of Dave and and you know something that I saw, I didn't. I I guess I didn't realize this until I I was looking up his credits and and one of his other 2022 credits is an Alanis Morissette album, and I had no idea that this happened. Uh, Dude's all um, over the place, man. You the, can't you can't you can't tie Dave Harrington down. The the storm before the calm is what it's called, and I I gave it a listen because I was very I was very curious as somebody who experienced Alanis origin you know in in her first uh, American breakthrough after the C Canadian pop days or whatever, and 
it's 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 a it's a total new age meditative it's it's what did you know if dave was working on that at any of the same time he was working on this was he juggling those two projects no the... he had he had finished it uh okay. and in, fa- in fact when when i went out to la and we had that kind of day and a half session where we were just kind of like listening to stuff and shooting around ideas he did play me some of it because he was like i got this record coming out with alanis <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I was just really surprised. It's pretty cool sounding. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, good, good, good collaboration there. Interesting approach. Uh, surprise. I, you can't put Atlantis in a box as much as maybe it turned. We thought maybe we could or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. He he. Uh, he's a man who of many wears many hats. And you know, you were you 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 mentioned the thing about the um, electronic music thing, and that was that was one of the things about that I love about Dave's uh, studio fluency is that is that and I think that and I, and I was hoping that this is this would be the case and I feel like it does come across on the record um, that you know it it's not a 100% naturalistic recording it's not like a trend complete I mean it's a very high quality recording and the band is fucking kicking ass and it's most of the basic tracks were recorded completely live but like he creates this kind of surface to it and like, and, and, and it's easy, I think to default to sort of like the sound of a band playing in a room, which I love, but sure. I'm glad that that's not the way like that the production of this, the choices that he mixing choices that he made yeah. were, were not uh, necessarily towards that. Although he completely also respected each song and let it find, have its own space. And, you know, some, some, some tracks I think are more, um, you know, sort of more mixed than others, or more affected than others, or you know, the 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 um, some of them are more transparent than others. But yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, like I, you know, I I love the to me the the surface texture of music is kind of the most interesting thing, and I do think that that's what actually what most people respond to in general. Um, it's not necessarily the chord changes. Or even the melodies, because you can take any chord change and you can take any melody and you can rearrange it and and re uh, re-record it or rearrange, you know, uh, use different instruments and do whatever. And the same music on a page can mean something completely different. And um, you know that that that's what I think is something that's interesting about trying to explore in in the studio because. that's the permanent record you know and that's the thing let's i guess what it's a kind of a cliche to say that pop music is a producer's medium because yeah you could take a song from any you know you could take any hit song and make it sound like any other genre of music you know you just can (laughs) that's what what people do and so why not absolutely it's funny though because i like that you mentioned he respected the kind of respected the quality of the songs the essential quality but you don't have to be reverent to the recording to do that you know right. and i think that's where it's a it's a funny and interesting line to walk which is yeah so the sort of um that's the art that he's well, bringing to it you know rec- rec- recording is a conspiracy i mean it's com- it's it's complete fakery that's the the, the entire basis of recording is right. you know like this right. is not real like this is a completely made up thing. So, um, and, and then, you know, the meaning is transmitted, 
you know, that's what I mean about how people respond to the surface. It's like people that like their music to sound really natural, like a bunch of people in a room. And that has some kind of authentic, authentic meaning to them. Sure. Okay. And then other people just like the, you know, like it to be completely on the surface, like utterly compressed, just like pump up the beats and everything in between, you know? Uh, but to get to any of those places and it, including all the places in between, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a deception that you're yeah. creating, you know. Yeah. Um, which is what's, which is why it's, why it's fun. Um, uh, you know, and 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 why why it's interesting to work with different people. I think too. This crew: Tom on guitar, Douglas McCombs on bass, Ryan on drums. You said you guys played some gigs. Do you feel like you had your sea legs pretty well established by the time you rolled into the studio with these guys? I mean, sh yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, i've I've done go, I've done uh, gigs with Doug going back, you know, like a number of years. I've played with Ryan a lot, played with Tom a lot, but never all at the same time. Right. But what what we did is initially it was like, okay, before we go to the studio, why don't we get together, come to Philly? Bring Ryan lives up near Woodstock. Doug obviously is in Chicago. Get together in Philly rehearse for a day or two like put together some new stuff because it's like if you're going to go play a gig after two years of not playing a gig like there's got to be some new stuff <laughs> so yeah. um at least i felt there should be and so uh so in the course of planning that tom had sent me a message and was just like hey just a reminder like if you've got if you need anyone to play guitar like just you know hit me up like i'm i'm down and so and initially the idea was like oh just for the gigs we'll have tom come it'll help like fill out the sound and it'll be fun and we had a couple of great days rehearsing and a couple of great gigs and doug and ryan both afterwards were like do you think we can get him on the sessions because the sessions were like maybe a month away and uh i was like yeah that we, we should definitely try to do that so um and so yeah that's what happened and i think he i think tom you know tom is like on tour all the time with Garcia Peoples. And I think he he actually flew to Richmond from New York um, rather than drive down with with uh, Ryan and I because he was so pressed for time. So like he huh. flew down. The, we went down the night before and then, you know, went to the studio and got set up. And Tom arrived from the airport that morning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was some sea legs, but it's all, I don't know. It felt like it was that sweet spot where like, you know, it's like when you're playing pool and uh you know if you've had like one or two beers you're like completely on the money but if you've had three or four beers like you can't make a shot we were like right in the yeah. in terms of our relationship with each other playing playing we were right in that the sweet spot where it was like we had a little going we were like um we'd had some experience and we had some chemistry and camaraderie going on and um and also those guys are just you know completely uh killer pros so uh Each each one of them like an incredible player. Ryan yeah. does such nuts stuff on this record. Doug, of course, with his mini projects and signature stuff going on. I I haven't got to see as many shows over the last couple of years as I used to. I'm st I, I am luckily, I've been able to get out and see some gigs, but I did see Garcia Peoples earlier this year and they melted my face off. They were in such good form in just like kind of a small little 
DIY spot and they just rolled in and brought Yeah, those guys show up and play. Definitely. Yeah. And this and the and the jams went places I did not expect and just you know you when you're in the room and you know you've played with them, you know those guys, you you get the way that they sort of work, but it's like when you hear it go someplace that you just really know that you never could have predicted this, that there's a sense that they couldn't have either, you know? And mm-hmm. it was just, it's so great. It was so, it was such a good show. And, and so it's, it's awesome to have him on this record with you, you know? Yeah. The original plan of course was to like, uh, either I was like, ah, I'll just do other guitar parts myself. And in the past, even when I had other people in the band, you know, there was times when I was like, oh, here's a part. Like, I have this other guitar part for you to play, but then also, you know, elaborate on it or whatever. But there wasn't that much time even for that. And and yeah. in the past, I would, when I overdub, when I did guitar overdubs in the past, I would often just like kind of make them up in the studio, like not even, um, not even have demoed them out. So, um, it was great having. I mean, he did a he did a ton of work. It was much more efficient. Also, having Tom <laughs> do this stuff yeah. because he because he's he's got that like session killer blood in him. And uh, you know, like there like there was a time when we were actually in this room rehearsing, and Doug was like, "What chord is that?" At, you know, at one point, and I'm like, I play in open tunings a lot, and I'm like trying to think about how to explain what the chord is, you know, and Tom's just sitting there like puffing on a vape, uh, and he's like, and he's like, he's like, well, that's a, a, e, a e flat seven flat nine. Yeah. Like yeah okay what what he, what he said like he figured it out like he already knew like uh, so so yeah. yeah he he's just he's got this extra special musicality to him and uh, and yet he, this was the first time that I had recorded with Doug and uh. You know, it's a joy to play with him. Uh, you know, in a in a room. Yeah. But hearing, like, and then, but then going back and listening to it in granular detail, over and over and over again, uh, was it was, it 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 raised my esteem for him even higher. Just like the subtle little, he just did just knows how a bass works in a in a band. Like, it's not even about it's not about the notes. It's like the spaces that he leaves and the you know, like that when he where he chokes a note or lets it ring, or um, that really moves, it really they really moves some of the tracks along in a really profound way. Um, yeah, it's funny how when especially when it comes to bass, it is those like minute things that give it the character that just like you don't have that, and 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 yeah, you 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 could never point what you could never point at what it was you know if you're just hanging out listening but yeah. you know but it's felt, there felt not heard you know yeah and like, exactly and like like i sometimes people have asked me like do you play a bass guitar and i'm like well i mean i could pick up a bass and play it but i don't have like a strategy like i don't have like a like i don't feel like i have a, a, like a you know i could i could like play i could play notes but sure. like doug doug has like an understanding of the way that that's that that low end works in a in a room with people yeah. um and on a recording you know yeah. and so so yeah it's a you know joy to play with those guys and you know ryan obviously also you know one of the things about ryan is that as as great of an improviser he is you know his favorite his favorite drummer is jim keltner you know he like he has a jim keltner hat and like we've he's like dj to jim keltner set in the in the in the in the tour van 
which yeah. includes like uh you know like knocking on heaven's door but also like the theme from the golden girls <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah. like like he knows who he knows who everybody all the session stuff so he's got a mind about recording as much as he does about like the actual playing of the drums so that's also really uh you know it's it's great to have to have people like this and and you know around you in the studio because yeah they bring it to life you know yeah and it gives and it gives like Dave a lot to work with and a lot to like really consider and accentuate and pull back on and all that stuff. So it's like it's it's cool that how how much the the first flight thing did sort of seem to especially the read the 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 second draft he did where he played around yeah. with it. It really does seem like that indicated the direction you you wanted to go on this record cuz it's what you're describing is a pretty similar kind of at least starting point reference wise um yeah big time and when i when he sent me the the first like redux uh recordings i listened to them and i was like what this sounds like is that if if can like parachuted into the present at like i got in a time machine and just dropped into the present and was like oh these are all the tools now okay this is what we sound like yeah you know like not not like trying to sound like wait the way they sounded in the 70s or whatever but like the mentality and the approach uh and the exploitation of the technology like that's you know th- th- like that's what it sounded like to me uh yeah and speaking of people who were in the studio though i saw linda Pittman and steve Wynn in the in the guest list that's mm-hmm. that's cool how do how do you know how do you know them and have you known them a while or yeah i've 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 known them for for a bit um and i guess um I guess, like back around the time of the rarity of experience, I did some sh- I did some shows opening for the Dream Syndicate, which was I I think that was their first kind of like reemergence after a long time in the U.S. Anyway, I think they had done some stuff in Europe, maybe. But yeah. um, but I had also Aquarium Drunkard shout out. I did a, one of those um, Lanyap sessions. Lanyap sessions and covered uh, "When You Smile" Dream yeah. Syndicate song, and. Once Steve and I met, like he he mentioned, he's like, "Oh yeah, I heard that," and so he was like aware. And Steve's always paying attention to stuff. He listens to tons of music and new music, and um, but yeah, we just I don't know. It's one of those things we just sort of became friends, and uh, you know, I see him when he comes here. I you know, um, I've gone up to New York and we've hung out, gone to some ball games, that kind of thing. And yeah. uh, and we're and we and we actually in that same series that I of the residency when I um, where we recorded first flight um, and uh, some other stuff that came out of that too at New Blue like just before the pandemic one of the shows was me and Steve with Linda on drums and Peter Curlin on bass and we did a set that was sort of like twenty five percent my songs twenty five percent his songs and fifty percent covers and that was kind of the the coolest show of the whole month and to me yeah but i only found out that this that the venue could make multi-track recordings of the gigs after that like if we had had a multi-track of that show like there's no question that i I would have been like jumping all over it to try to mix it down um so yeah you know steve and i are talking about trying to we've talked about maybe doing like a like a trying to do a project that's just like warren zevon and john kale songs or something and um 
That's yeah, what, were, what, were those some of the covers that you had done that night? Uh, let's see. What did we do that night? We did. No, I don't think we did either of them. We did. We did rock and roll by the Velvet Underground. We did um, Night Comes In, Richard Thompson, of course. We did. Uh, can't remember. I'd have to go back and check, but um, sounds like good oh, jams. We did, we did. We did Friction by Television. So I mean, Killer. it was all like it was all like this, the stuff that was like at the closest to the front of the shelf. You know, like what songs <laughs> should we do? Like, oh yeah, let's just do those. That one. Yeah. That one, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like running through the grocery store. Like, I'm just gonna grab this and grab that and grab this and move on. The and, staples, yeah, 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 the yeah, sort of like the steady, steady diet stuff for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's but, awesome though. I would love to hear you guys do even more together. I mean, I, I, I feel like the Dream Syndicate's one of those bands where it's like they come back and it's, it's, it's just like, holy shit, these records sound great and they're far out. They're like way far, you know, like the, the maybe. I think the perception I had, although I've, you know, paid attention to to Steve's stuff was sort of that a mellowing had occurred, you know, and then there are some records where that is the case, but yeah, now they're back and it's just like really pretty, pretty freaky, cool, wild stuff. And it's really exciting to know that they're, you know, fired up and in that, that zone. So I'd love to hear you guys do whatever you when you do your own, uh, what was the, was it Hindu love gods? Is that what REM and... <laughs> Yeah. That was yeah. Sentimental Hygiene backing band. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a funny record. Do you have Zevon? What are what are what are your what are your Zevon go-tos right now? I mean, you know, I I I mean I've always I I've always loved Sentimental Hygiene because actually that's probably the first thing that I got into, like back when it came out. A cool record. Um, it is. And you know, like the I think it holds up. the The production is a little got a little bit of an '80s bite to it, but yeah, but but not terribly. Um, uh, I mean, you know, Zevon is one of those characters. That, I mean, the the, thing, the probably one, arguably the most amazing thing that ever uh, he ever allowed to happen is that book that um, uh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I think it's called the biography of him, where he allowed all of his di- diaries and like all of the warts to come out. Um, which yeah. is in line with his song writing as well. I mean, talk about complicated. Brutal. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, I actually still haven't read that one. I know I need to. I did have a friend, a fellow Zevon fan, who was like, yeah, you're going to have comp... This is going to complicate your your feelings even further. So I know some of the, some of the, the stuff. It's yeah. the most harrowing rock doc you're, you know, you're going you're gonna to get, definitely. It's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but the you know the honesty of it is, I think, like pretty ama- admirable. It's amazing, actually, it's, and it, it allows for a complete picture. Yeah, and that and you're right. That is that's what makes the songs. That's what that's his that's his his sort of. He, there's a brutal line in every song, no matter how tender, no matter how open hearted, no matter how wounded. There's just this kind of like a a twist of something that doesn't allow you to feel. Uh, simply about about what you're hearing yeah i think that is his that's his power yeah yeah and you know similarly john kale stuff is uh you know i mean i mean that's why those guys are you know as as exalted as they are yeah to some degree or you know on the margins because uh yeah it's too much for people to take most of the time yeah you know look I at mean, yeah kale's got the hockey mask or whatever it's yeah, like <laughs> yeah, right. 
Yeah, I mean that's yeah, but I know I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's not a it's not an all the time flavor. You could put it that way or whatever. But 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 it's that intensity is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, but both of those guys also did cover an awful lot of ground sonically and musically in their work too, as well it, as well as the you know songwriting and lyrical content. Like uh, the yeah. records don't all sound the same, you know, which is also very admirable to me. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love music for a new society. That John Cale record is um, one of my all, very favorites by him, and it's like, and it, it, it's 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 almost uncomfortable to listen to at times. And it's it's one it's kind of like that uh, uh, that Robert Quine, um, Fred Marr record, Basic, which I also love. Which it's so eighties, like the eighty. It's like we're just gonna we're just gonna take this technology and push it as far as it can, like. Uh, which on the at first at first blush it's almost like distractingly, like the production is distractingly eighties, and then when you listen to it, you're like, wow, this is their guys. These guys are really kind of fucking around with it, and and, <laughs> yeah. and the and the and the songs uh, are, you know, super deep. Like they could all be they could they would all kill you if they were played on an acoustic guitar as well as like a DX seven. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. I'm not I'm not super familiar with that record, but now I'm gonna look it up and and dig in. I'm a big Quine guy, obviously. He's a he's a great great player. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Well, Chris, dude, it's always so awesome to get the chance to to catch up with you and dig in on this stuff um the new record is is so much fun and i really i really love getting the opportunity to to talk to you about these tunes and to pick your brain on stuff um thank you so much for taking the time yeah thanks jason it's it's really good to talk to you going to bring this week's episode to a close big thanks to chris forsyth for hanging out experimental and professional is a great way to put it evolution here we come is available now on no quarter records and i highly recommend you check it out i'm jason woodbury i write host and produce the show our audio is edited by andrew horton daryl norson chips in with visual design thanks daryl as always and our show is executive produced by aquarium drunkard founder justin gage Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU Channel 35. Best in the biz. Thanks, Justin. We'll be back next week with another all-new episode. I will be joined by the Stepney sisters who joined me to discuss the legacy of their father, Charles Stepney, a legendary producer, composer, and arranger whose work uh, with Earth, Wind, and Fire, Ramsey Lewis, Minnie Ripperton, and many more is well-known, but whose solo work is featured on an incredible new record from international anthem called step on step we're gonna get all into it it is absolutely mind-blowing stuff such a good record and a great conversation so i hope you'll come back and join us for that in the meantime stay safe and be well thanks for tuning into transmissions we'll be back soon 
We are part of the Talk House Podcast Network, home to all sorts of incredible programs. So check out the Talk House Podcast Network if you get a minute. Uh, how about, you know, Bjork, Bjork, Sonic Symbolism. Wow, it's incredible. I can say that we are uh, uh, label mates of a sort with Bjork. Mind-blowing. Anyway, thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. This transmission is concluded. <laughs>